This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about the power of change and why you might need to go on a digital detox. How to start making lifestyle changes. And why starting small is key. Let's get on with the show. Have you ever been on a digital detox? I've been on a holiday where I couldn't get any phone reception. Does that count? I guess so. How did it feel? It felt slightly desperate. (laughs) Uh, I must admit, I love my phone a lot of the time. And I looked some... have, you, have you got that thing on your phone that tells you how much time you're spending on your phone? In case... No, I've got other people around me that do that for me. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. yes, they'll go, please look up and talk to us. And uh, I do. And yeah. then they're happy I'm back on the phone. It's the strangest thing. I've got two phones, mm-hmm. which is brilliant because each phone tells me how many hours I've spent on the phone. And essentially by having two phones, I've halved the amount of time that I've spent on the phone. It's that kind of thinking. (laughs) So some of the stats on this are a little bit scary. Americans check their phones 144 times a day. Yep, that seems reasonable. Really? Yep. I mean, that's what, 12-hour day and then 12 times an hour. Yep, fine. Not a problem. 60% sleep with their phone at night. So they have it on the bedside table. Yep. A lot of people check their phone within 10 minutes of waking up. Is that you? Yes. It's a pattern emerging here. (laughs) It's because the radio is on the phone and I need to check the time and then play a tiny dot game and (laughs) Twitter and then some of Radio 4 news to make me angry, which is, you know, gets the blood flowing. That sounds like a, a good morning ritual. Why would people possibly want to spend less time on their phones? Because it's not good for you. Isn't it, though? Well, I mean, it's a portal to the whole world. Well, so this is interesting. So it sounds like there you're using it very much to gather information and find out what's going on in the world but not everyone uses their phone like that so i'm a social psychologist so i'm interested in socially how we use it to interact with others and part of it of course is we use it to connect with other people which can be a good thing depending on who those people are but other times we do exactly what we do in the rest of our lives which is social comparison what's that well we compare ourselves to others And there are upward comparisons where you compare yourself to somebody who's better looking, got more, more successful, happier and whatever. Oh, you're talking about Instagram, aren't you? I I, I don't think we should mention (laughs) any. Or similar thing. Uh, And there's downward comparison where you compare yourself to people who are not so attractive or successful. And the question is, what's going on there? Because some upward comparisons where you go, okay, this person is, if you want to use that word, more successful than I am, that can be inspirational for some people. But then if you get too much of that, suddenly you think, well, I'm inadequate. I can never reach these dizzy heights of attractiveness or having great meals or whatever. So I find that fascinating. It has quite a serious effect on people's lives. We should say some of this stuff, although we can be talking about it in in quite a a sort of lighthearted way, it can be a serious problem for people. And if they have got those sorts of issues, they should go and see a professional. But just for most people, that upward social comparison, constantly seeing people that are better looking, having a better time than them, can be quite a difficult moment. Not everyone is as blindingly attractive as you and I are. Exactly. Exactly. And I find that interesting And I think it gets to the heart of this, which is 
If you're a producer of this sort of material, if you're posting onto these sites, my question would be, why are you doing it? Mm. Are you doing it to make yourself feel good and other people feel bad? Or are you doing it to make them feel good? And this gets back to what I call the wish you were here hypothesis, which I have, which is when you look at old postcards of people going away to the seaside or whatever in Victorian times and uh, even after that, a lot of those postcards said, wish you were here. I've never really understood that. Well, what it's saying is, it's great here. It's a nice beach and we're having a lovely time, but it'd be even better if you were here. And that is a lovely thought. What it's saying is, I'm not just telling you I'm having a great time and you should feel bad because you're not having such a great time. What I'm saying is, this is kind of about my connection with you. I'm having a great time, but it'd be even better if you were here. You see, this is the bit that I don't get because there are different ways of interpreting wish you were here. And there's, there's a, a kind of snarkier one, which is not I wish you were here. It's do you wish you were here? Wish you were here? Ha ha ha. Can't be, loser. You're not on holiday. Here's my postcard. There is that that way of looking at it. I don't think it has. That's a... not me. That's, yeah, that's, it, as far as I know, that's not a... the accepted yeah, hypothesis. I don't think the Victorian postcards have a question mark at the end of the "wish you were here." I think it's my understanding is it's saying "I wish you were here," and and I think that sentiment is is really powerful. It's saying that you post these things not to make other people feel bad, but to point out that wouldn't it be wonderful if they were there? Or you think, okay, what? How can I phrase this in a way they're going to find funny or interesting or help them rather than help me? And that fundamental shift, I think, is, is very important. That doesn't connect with why a lot of people seem to post now, though. They're, they're, That's they're, right. They're not doing that now. Exactly. They are saying, look at this. This is a status point. I've been to this amazing place. I've eaten this fantastic bowl of ramen. Yeah. And then people go, oh, that looks nice. And then they click the like thing. And That's then, right. And, then and, I, and I think a- that, that sits at the root of the, the problem with this, is if, if you just say to people, well, why are you doing that? Surely you want to make other people, your friends and everyone, your family, feel good about themselves, not just show off. Then that would be a useful shift in mindset, I think. One of the things I, I recommend to people, and this is going to sound a bit odd, is that if somebody does something really nice for you, rather than sending them a thank you email or text message or something, which they're going to get all the time, send an old-fashioned thank you card. Because people are thrilled by that. They don't receive many of those. It's They're something, whole... yeah, something through the post that's not a bill. It's exactly. It's something different. It's something they'll remember you for. And it's something long lasting as well. So I think when we turn the clock back to, you know, 100 years or something like that, when you look at these postcards, when you look at these thank you cards, look at the way they went about interacting with one another, there are real lessons to be learned. So we've had a lot of listener questions about this and and Gwen Watson has written in and she says, when I need to switch off from whatever task I'm doing, I find myself endlessly doom scrolling Instagram instead. But not only is it a time thief, but it also leaves me feeling a bit sad afterwards, regardless of what content I'm looking at. Why is this and how do I cut down? I need it for work so I can't completely delete the app. I think it's about connections with real people and the real world. If you spend a lot of time just looking at a small screen, you haven't got that authentic connection. And second, the news media like to put out lots and lots of bad stories. They know, and there's lots of evidence of this, we click on a terrible headline much more than we click on a positive headline. So that's what you're going to see. So it's not surprising. It starts to chip away and you start to feel a little bit bad about it. So I I think there's all of that 
going on. So I, my argument would be not to stop doing it completely, and this is my argument about most things, not to completely stop, but to be mindful about what you are doing and to cut down rather than try and exclude. There was um, some research that came out a few years back that seemed quite interesting. It said that boys on average got a boost from time spent interacting online and girls generally didn't. Mm. And I think some of the newspapers, when they were reporting this, they phrased it as computer games, good for boys, bad for girls. But it didn't really work. When you unpicked it, what they'd done was they categorised time spent on interactive computer games and time spent looking at social media, so pictures of other people's holidays and pets. That was all considered the same thing. And so what you're saying about connections is really interesting because if you're playing an interactive shoot 'em up with five of your friends, you're having a connection with them because you're doing a thing together and you're having an experience. It's just you're having it online. Whereas if you are doom scrolling through other people's holidays, you're just feeling crap that you're not on holiday. And, and this is one of the issues with the research is you're getting very mixed effects when, when you start to ask people to digitally detox. And the reason is because people are using these things in, in quite different ways. So the answer is, as with a lot of psychology, it's complicated. My answer to a lot of individuals is, well, actually, does it make you feel good or bad? I mean, one of the issues about having it on the bedside table is that there's some arguments, again, the research on this is a bit inconsistent, is that when you pick that up in the middle of the night to check your email or whatever, you're getting a big blast of blue light, which then disrupts uh, melatonin in the brain. And so you end up not being able to sleep and, and so on. But the, the bigger point they're having at the bedside table is that you might start to look at email or social media. Suddenly you see something there which is upsetting or you feel you need to respond to. And now you're down that rabbit hole. And so I think it's just our brains and our minds haven't really caught up with all of the stuff that's happening. And the answer, I think, for a lot of people is just to be mindful to going, is this making me happier or not? And if it's not, what do I do about it? So it all gets down to change, which is, of course, the thing that I actually find most interesting. So you're saying your phone can be part of the solution? Yeah, so that there's some apps which will help you cut down. There's also research which suggests that if you just cut down by an hour a day, it's about the same as cutting out completely the phone. And it's much easier to cut down rather than cut out completely. And in fact, you may be losing some of the benefits if you cut out completely. So all these things, it's about complexity and it's about just trying to do something which is more sustainable, I suppose. We've had a question from Lily to which I think I already know the answer. She says, what is better for me, being on my phone for an hour or going for a walk? It's a good question. Uh, Lily, a friend of mine and, a, and a, a fan of the show, so thank you for the question. I would argue that in general... Putting the phone down and going for a walk, depending on where you go, uh, is a good idea. And we'll, we'll probably talk about this in another episode. But heading off to anywhere green is a pretty good mood boost or going for a walk with other people, for example. You don't get either of those things when you're looking at your phone. I would argue that you can supersize that walk mm -hmm. by downloading a couple of episodes of this podcast yes. and then listening to that whilst you're having a walk. It's like you've got a group of friends there with you. That's right, or, or two in, in particular. Improving your life. Uh, I think it is great. I mean, just getting out there, uh, rather than sort of living in this rather odd digital world, uh, I always argue for you know authenticity and for getting out there and actually experiencing the moment, not just staring at a, a small screen. So, yes, I perhaps not surprisingly would argue for the walk.
What about staring at a big screen? Are you saying it's the size of the screen? We shall get larger phones. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, some of the gaming stuff is interesting. But as you say, often that's got a social element to it. And, and of course, all the gaming work is, is very controversial as to whether if you play a violent game, it makes you more violent and so on. Uh, there's some argument it makes you more violent within games and not in the real world. And that's a massive, massive debate that's, that's going on. So psychology, I think, struggles with these topics because... People are quite complicated. They use social media in different ways. They game in different ways. And psychology is at its best when it's a fairly straightforward issue. As soon as you start to get into, well, you know, we need to look at social media versus likes versus people looking at each other's uh, food preferences or whatever it is, that's when it starts to get a little bit um, challenging. Yeah. So there's all sorts of ways of detoxing if you want to. One is to give your passwords to somebody else so you can't log in. Nope. Um, another is to physically put the phone in another room when you want to focus on something. And in fact, there's some schools now in, in Europe which are banning kids from bringing phones in because they're just not concentrating in lessons. I mean, I just assumed that schools would ban phones anyway. I didn't realise that you're allowed to keep your phone. Okay. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another is to actually get a phone which doesn't have some of these capabilities. So going back to the older phones that I had when they first came out, which were just about really sending a text message or making a phone call and doesn't have all this kind of social media apps. And then, of course, there are some apps which will actually limit your usage. So all of these things are, are very simple but can have an impact. I read a fascinating article with the people in Silicon Valley who made tiny tweaks to make your phone that little bit more playable with, more mm. enticing. And it's, it's little things that you wouldn't even think of. But you know, if you've got the app and if you've got a new message in it, you get a little red circle yes. in the corner. Yes. That's a recent addition, relatively recent addition. Right. And they, they realised that makes people open the app much more often. Oh, urgent, brilliant. I need to read this now. Must prioritise this. So one of the one of the pieces of advice, and this is a setting that you can have on your phone, is you turn it to grayscale. Ah, and that's that part of a digital detox. Yes. And I have to say, I tried it and everything immediately looked so boring mm. that I switched it off. Because, um, no, I mean, I switched the grayscale off. Oh, I see. Not yeah. so perfect. No. I mean, that's probably what I should have done is switch the phone off. But, but those, those small changes, that's a great idea. You know, the idea of just cutting back an hour a day, that has a big impact. So often we think, oh, if we want to make a big dramatic change in our life, we need some big dramatic gesture. And what my research shows and other people's research shows is actually it's sometimes the smallest of changes, if they're the right changes, has a very big impact. You're listening to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. And in this episode, we're talking about the power of small change. And I don't mean the stuff in your pockets. So this isn't just about phones. Can we change in other areas of our life or work or health, for example, with yeah. small changes? So again, as a social psychologist, this is the stuff that really interests me. What can we do to make a difference? And what could we do tonight to make that difference? So, for example, if you do want to lead a, a healthier lifestyle, maybe you want to eat less unhealthy food, there's all sorts of things you can do. But one of the most enjoyable ways, actually, is just to eat with your non-dominant hand. That means it actually takes longer and it's more mindful to eat because you need to sort out coordination issues and so on. So you end up eating less. Now, that's really simple, but actually pretty effective. 
Is there a kind of world of these things, like eat with a teeny tiny child fork? All of those things. All that, now, now, some of the research is contentious. There's always these replication issues, but there's arguments that if you eat on a smaller plate, then the food portions look bigger. Um, if you use cutlery like that, then you end up eating less. If you're distracted when you eat, you eat more. So, you know, eating with the television on, for example, not such a good idea. Another one, which came from uh, Brad Bushman, a psychologist in America, was about mirrors. So he did a great study where people coming out of a supermarket encountered a table and some of the food on the table was healthy and sometimes it was unhealthy and they were allowed to munch away. And what he did was about for half the trials put a mirror on the table. Now, as soon as people could see their own reflection, they became more self-conscious and they shifted to the healthier food. Really simple idea, putting a mirror in the kitchen. If you do want to, there's no reason why you should, but if you want to, then these are the sorts of, some people call them hacks, but psychological tips that, that can be quite impactful. I love how psychologists study this because you need to kind of mock up a restaurant, right? If you're looking at people's eating behaviour. And I think there is, in Liverpool University, they've got a fake eating room where they try and make people feel as comfortable like they're in a normal cafe, but also so that they can be spied on by psychology students. Well, yeah, I mean, psychologists do like asking people questions. And so you say, oh, well, how would you behave under these circumstances? And of course, that's quite different to how people actually behave. So many years ago, we did an experiment where we took over a supermarket and we gave people too much change. So if they paid with £10, we gave them change for 20 and the question was, would they own up to it? And the answer was that no one did. Mm. So then we said, OK, can you count the, the, the money into their hand? This is what we said to the, the cashiers. Yep, I'll do that. So it's 10, then 10 to 20. No one owned up to it. Then we said, count the money in and say, oh, sorry, did you give me 10 or 20 pounds? Hardly anyone owned up to it. But then when they left the supermarket, there was a researcher standing there and said, can I ask you some questions about what you've bought today and so on? One of the questions was, if you were given too much change by the cashier, would you own up? Everyone said, yes, of course I would. So if you start to go with what people say, you end up with some very skewed results. I would argue it's always better to go with how they actually behave if that's what you're interested in. I mean, particularly when it comes to eating. Yes. I mean, I don't think we always remember what we've put Absolutely. in our faces over the course of the day. Absolutely. What's interesting about that experiment is we then did it with a corner shop so that the first one was in with a big supermarket chain. When we repeated it with a corner shop, everyone instantly said, oh, you're giving me too much change. Oh, that's interesting. So, so it's context like, matters. take it from the man, but not, not to rip off the corner shop. Absolutely. So uh, this is why psychology is fascinating. It has to be quite nuanced if it's going to be effective. But some of these things, power of slow eating, uh, the mirror stuff is good. You can also set up what are called when-then sets of behaviour, which is rather than say, I'm going to go running at some point today, you go, when the six o'clock news comes on, then I put on my shoes and go running. And that way, you know whether you're hitting those goals. You're talking about exercise and we've had a question from Jen Glover on exercise and she says, I'm constantly on a roller coaster when it comes to trying to get healthier. I'll sign up for a new fitness class or decide to take up running, buy all the gear, be super motivated, hit it hard, then burn out, fall off the wagon only to find myself back at square one again. How do I change this cycle that I seem to be stuck in? I, I think by doing things that work. So you would think those things work, you know, buying all this new gear and so on. What they would tend to do is just work for a very short period of time. And then when you start not to have any more gains, you lose motivation. So I would always argue for smaller changes. 
and for focusing on all the things that we know actually have an impact versus trusting our intuition or our common sense about how our minds work and then getting it very badly wrong. So I completely get the idea of, oh, I spent all this money on all this sort of posh kit because it makes you feel like you're doing something, but actually you're not really getting to where you need to get to. Oh, so it's procrastination to kind of, it's to tick that exercise box without actually doing the exercise. That's right, to make yourself feel good in the absence of actually hitting a target, where I would argue, let's look at those targets and let's try different things, small things, and see what has a real impact, because that is what will keep people going. You know, most of us haven't got the willpower to make a dramatic change to our lives, but we can incorporate these, these small wins. And I guess find what motivates you. So I'm very motivated to get my money's worth and I am not very motivated by enjoyment of exercise because, you know, they always say, you're always told, oh, just find a form of exercise that you enjoy. And 40 years down the line, I'm still hunting. Still, I think kayaking, but it's not very practical. No, I haven't seen that one at the gym. No. Uh, that would be quite no, the gym. That would well, be great. I, I was thinking about this. And so I quite like exercise bikes at the, the gym, but it is a bit dull and I've been doing it quite a long time. So my new thing is to watch every episode of Doctor Who because each episode takes 25 minutes, which is the length of time I want to spend on the exercise bike. So I am slowly going through this massive 700-episode canon of work and I find that quite enjoyable and quite distracting. So it's, it's finding whatever works for you, what is intrinsically enjoyable about the exercise. Okay, turning up and getting my money's worth felt like... So I joined a very expensive gym I never actually went to the gym, but they had a swimming pool. They also had a fruit and an espresso machine. Right. And so I did a mental calculation every time I was in the pool. And I was like, how much is this experience worth? And I kept a tally of it. And I decided that if three months running, I felt like I wasn't getting my money's worth, then I'd quit. And what happened? I, I stayed. I, I stayed until they uh, kicked me out, actually. <laughs> Because I was getting a discount and they decided they didn't want me. They wanted more expensive clients. And right. so they said, we're closing for renovations. So uh, off you pop, bye. Probably because I drank quite a lot of coffee yes, and ate you, all you their were. fruit. <laughs> so but these solutions often aren't that expensive. What, what we often do is we're after short-term gains. But the, the truth is any of these things are probably going to take quite a long time. So one approach is to think how much in, I don't know, a month's time you'll regret not going to the gym. So you, you think, okay, building in regret into the way I think then becomes a motivating factor. And psychologists have looked at all of these things in terms of healthy eating and healthy living. Another one which I was involved with a few years ago was simple swaps. So you might think, okay, whenever I'm faced with stairs or the escalator, normally I gravitate towards the escalator a lot easier, but I'm going to take the stairs. That very simple swap, again, can have a big impact over time. Which is fine when you work on the second floor and then you get moved to the fourth floor and you're like, four flights of stairs is one flight of stairs too many, it turns out. And now I get the lift all the time. Perfect, yes. But you could get the lift just to the second floor and walk up from there. Logic, logic. Right, so moving swiftly on, what have we done in this episode? What have we covered? Well, we, we covered digital detox. We found out it's complicated. For some people, it's a very serious uh, issue. We found out that the results are mixed, that it depends how you're using the digital media. We've spoken about that idea of upward and downward comparisons and how to be a, a better producer, if you like, of content. 
And in terms of trying to do any kind of change, this notion of small wins. So you break down your big plan into smaller goals and you celebrate each goal as you achieve it. That's a really simple idea, but again, extremely powerful. It sounds a bit like turning your life into some sort of little computer game. Well, I think if it's a really big change, we all look at it and think, oh my goodness, I'm never going to achieve that. And so you get demotivated. But if you say, actually, you just need to go to the gym once a week, that's all it is, or go for a walk for an hour a week you think oh that's achievable and that starts to become a habit and then you can move up to a couple of hours a week or whatever it is that you're trying to do if you go all out and then fail you can become quite fatalistic where you say I tried my best and I failed there's nothing I can do now which puts you in even a worse place than when you started so these small wins they're called I I think is quite an effective technique Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podimo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it tell your friends you did why should you be the only ones to suffer although it does help others find us and don't forget to subscribe thanks bye bye bye